Hello, welcome and kumusta and thank you for joining me. My name is How. I am your occupational therapist. Now, in this session, I would like to share with you some of my processes whenever I go and come in and see or if I come in when I work with critical care patients. So the first process that I have is I keep a record of the people that I wanted to screen and I can obtain this first and foremost by attending a morning board round, for example, so I can do that. The other thing is for me to come in and have a walk around the unit and have a look at the patients. And the first point of contact for me is the nurse. I can go and ask them who the person is, what did they come in with, and uh, what are the reasons why they are in the unit, and what are the clinical objectives. The nurses are very, very vital members of the multidisciplinary team because they are the ones who are updated all the time of what needs to be done and what the doctor's um, objectives are and what the clinical objectives are and they monitor the patients in an hourly or minute by minute by minute. So that's the first thing that I would do. Go and talk to the nurses and establish what the clinical objectives are. And then I'd go and have a look at the patient. What are the things that are connected to the patient? So they can have lines, multiple lines coming in, and we'll talk about that in details. The thing with lines from an occupational therapist is they are telling you what are the limits. They'll tell you your limitations. They will be guiding you about the things that you can and can't do. Obviously, you don't tug on the lines. It's either a mode of delivery of something. So you need to deliver something to the patient. And this mode of delivery is through those lines via central line. You can have arterial line. And this is for monitoring purposes. You have central venous uh, catheter, CVC, okay, and you have multiple lines. So that's one thing. If you're coming from a surgical hospital, then you would be looking at some of the drains that are coming out of the patients. And what are these drains? These drains is to actually remove excess fluid or excess air that is in the system, particularly for those people who has had, say, heart and lung operation. These are the things that you'd want to keep an eye on. Now, you want to look at some of the supports that is the life-saving support that the patient is using as well. And they can be um, they can be a ventilator. And with a ventilator, you just see what the mode of delivery is in terms of that ventilation. And when it comes to ventilation, sometimes the patients are totally sedated and when they are sedated they are so relaxed that they cannot breathe on their own that the breathing is provided for by the ventilator and sometimes uh, this ventilator is just doing its thing if they're not self-ventilating the ventilator is the one that's doing it for them they're the ones that are controlling the inspiration and then the expiration of the patient. And in that process, you know, there would be a, hopefully, a, a proper 
gas exchange of oxygen and carbon dioxide. That's straightforward. That's basic physiology. And then the next thing that I would do is, uh, what else? Look at some other connections or some of the things that are connected to the patients. Um, you can have filter or dialysis machine. And if there is a dialysis machine, it just means that the blood is being filtered out of some of the unwanted chemicals that is in the body. Usually the kidney, the kidney is actually the excretory system of the body. And what it does is, is it removes the unwanted chemicals. We see all of these chemicals that you ingest or all of the food that you ingest, you know, there will be some byproducts of byproducts which, which the patient doesn't want in their body or the body doesn't want it inside. And then the next thing is if you're in uh, coming from a heart and lung hospital, for example, then you'd be looking again for some of the lines. What are the supports that the heart has? And these can be the ionotropes. Um, they could be some medications that are assisting the heart to pump, uh, that are assisting the heart to have some more pr pressure. So it's all medication. So when you are in a critical care unit, say particularly with the neurocritical care unit, you can have a lot of devices like drain. You can have drains as well, like a cranial drain. You can have shunts that goes outside. And you can also have some stabilization devices and unit, like spinal stabili stabilization units. Uh, you can have uh, orthosis. You can have tractions. If the person has had some kind of a multiple trauma for example so these are the things that i'd be looking at so we're just coming in so this is my process as soon as i come in i ask the nurse what are we up to what are we up against what is the clinical objective okay and then i ask them are they sedated and if they're not sedated is the clinical objective to wake them up and if the clinical objective is to wake them up then that's the thing that i would be doing start to wake them up so again, come in here and now. It's always the here and now. That's the one thing that you can address and that you need to address, the here and now. I cannot plan for what's going to happen in the next few hours or the next few days, or I couldn't be dwelling on yesterday's performance. Because when people are in critical care, they are in a state of being unwell, and their condition are actually fluctuating every time and all the time so here and now if the objective is to actually wake them up then that's what i will do and what are the things that we need to do or we can do to wake a person up just think about yourselves really so what will wake you up as a person so the first thing that you would do is you can actually wake up through sound or auditory stimuli and there are, what are the kinds of auditory stimulus? So you can have high-pitched sound. That's something that would wake you up. Okay. Low-pitched sound can somehow, but somehow the low-pitched sound has a calming effect. And these calming effect would not wake a person up, but it can soothe a person down. So again, depending on the problem, what is their level of consciousness? That's the first question. 
and what do I need to do? So for this particular example, if the patient is not awake, you need to wake them up. Auditory stimulation, that's it. Something that is familiar. So you can play in some of the playlists that they like to do. But you need to establish what they like. So you have to go and call the family or you can ask the nurses to ask them when they come in. It's always important to know what pe the person likes. Okay, so something that is of high pitched, something that's a bit loud, something that is familiar. And these are some of the equipment or some of the auditory stimulus that you can provide. That's to wake them up. The next thing that you do is actually light. Okay, but uh, having the light, you have to do this quite gently and see whether they are responding to your auditory stimulus. If they're responding and somehow they can be roused, then that's actually good. Next thing is you can start giving them instructions and see whether they are responding to your verbal instructions. So now from that auditory stimulus, we are now, and the person is responding, you are then now starting to get them to follow simple instructions. And with regard to simple instructions, it's got to be the motor instructions, isn't it? So doing little things at a time. And the things that are easy enough to move. The first things that are easy to move would be some facial musculatures. right? So you can start getting them to raise the eyebrows, make a frown, wrinkle the nose, stick their, show, show their teeth, stick their tongue out, blow air in the cheeks. Okay, so you can start doing that. Or start moving the head left and right. And again, they can be limited by what is connected to them as well. So you have to be mindful of that. See if they can shrug the shoulder. Give them instructions to do that. Okay, and if they are having difficulty doing that, see if they can make a fist or they can open a hand. See if they can do a thumbs up. See if they can do some hand gestures. What are the hand gestures? that you can do, that we can do. Hand gestures is just doing a sign of thumbs up, doing a sign of okay, doing a sign of peace, you know, turn that around, it becomes up yours, doing the sign of rock and roll, doing the I love you sign, okay? So even with that thumb or the hand alone, you can be doing a lot of things already. But what you're looking for is engagement, participation. You wanted the person to do as much as they can, and uh, little by little, they will follow. And you see, you want to observe whether they're actually following. So pretend that they are doing something after that auditory stimulus and that they have got their eyes open. And if their eyes are open, you get them to have a look at things. Okay, You can ask them to follow or track an item Okay, across their uh, field of view. And you just follow that H pattern upper right lower right down to the middle across the midline upper left lower left quadrants and you can see whether they're tracking okay the other thing that you can do is you want to stimulate it so you can have a torch and this torch that you can you can just flash it around the peripheral of the eyes and then just see once you turn them on just ask the person to have a look where it is so you can do that that is an activity all right the other thing is, uh, yes, if they're, they're upright, you need to get them upright as well. And this is where it's going to be a bit challenging. 
Because if your session, if you start with a session with a person lying down, then you'll have to have a lot of workforce and resources to get the person in a sitting position. But if it is suitable enough to do that, you can actually use the bed, raise them up, get them to sit down and start facilitating and start engaging with the person. So that is the visual and the auditory stimulus. You've already done some visual tracking and visual pursuits. You've already done some uh, location okay, and targeting. So you have do done that and you have done some following instructions. So you've done cognitive retraining. You can have done uh, cognitive motor retraining. Okay. Now the next thing you do is what about those limbs? What are the things that you can access? So this is what I would be looking at. Look at the limbs, see what they can do. Now, a lot of people, I understand, they don't want to be seen doing some massage or providing massage to their patients. And that's the one thing that is a bit challenging as well. So what you need to do then is have a look at uh, what they can do. And what I would do is I would squeeze their arms, give them a proprioceptive stimulation and proprioceptive facilitation. I wouldn't shy away from doing that because that is what the person needs. And this is a proprioceptive input and facilitation. If you bring yourself in that situation on a regular day-to-day -day basis, when you're asleep the entire night, what is it that you do the first thing in the morning? It's easy, isn't it? The first thing that you do is you do some stretching. And what are those stretching? Those are proprioceptive facilitations. Those are proprioceptive cravings. And it feels good, doesn't it? So if you feel good doing some stretching first thing in the morning, imagine how the patient would feel if you start doing that for them because they cannot do it. And I've seen this so many times person is anxious, they cannot move, they are in pain. And a lot of people have asked me to do some relaxation. They're already sleeping. They're already relaxed. But what I did, and I've been doing on some of the patients when they feel agitated or anxious and or they're in pain, I would just give the deltoids a squeeze, like, you know, like a good squeeze or the upper trapezius. And then the combined squeeze of the, the biceps and the triceps muscles, if I have access to that, or the axis on the forearm as well. Just that compression. And compress for three, four, five, and relax. And I've done that a few times with a lot of patients, and I've done that numerous times, really. And you can see the comfort that they are feeling. Right. So that's that on the aspect of proprioceptive facilitation. And then on the legs, it's easy enough to do that as well. So the ones that are accessible are the adductors. You can have the quadriceps muscles, so give that a squeeze. Okay. Particularly the vastus medialis. That is, you just find that out. It's there. Okay. And then the back as well. So you can give the, the, um, the, the hamstrings a squeeze, give the soleus muscle a squeeze, give the gastrocnemius a squeeze, put some squeeze on the arc. 
okay? Because when you're stimulating all of this, all at the, the same time, like little by little, you're providing that controlled sensory input and you're really waking the person up, okay? That's one way of doing that. So gentle squeeze at first. And then once you have it, then you can do some gentle rocking, you know, of the limb, you know, gentle shaking. You can get them to do that. And then you can start doing some passive movements. Uh, you move them in a position first, and then you start glide them onto the joint, and then get them to do as much as they can. Now, these are some of the techniques of the PNF, or proprioceptive neuromuscular facilitation. You have the contract technique, contract and relax, contract, hold and relax, sustained contraction, repeated contractions, yeah? There are many terms for that, you know, so you can have that. You can have, in other terminologies, you can use the words like active assist, active resist, you know, assist, and uh, what else? Active assist, active resist, resistance, yeah? AROMs, not really, because that's active range of motion. So when you're talking about range of motion, you're talking about the joint range. Okay. And that is the, the simple stimulation. So what have we tapped on? We have tapped on the auditory stimulation. We have tapped on the visual stimulation. We have tapped on the proprioceptive facilitation. These are the three big things that you need to tap and uh, that are suitable and the one that you can access. That's the one thing. Do you know the one sensory uh, faculties that's not usually stimulated in critical care or when the person is recovering? And it has a major effect on movement. It is the vestibular sensation. So when you stimulate the vestibular sensation, then the writing reaction of the body kicks in. Yeah. And everything is reliant on that. That is a very, very powerful tool, the vestibular sensation. So an application and a typical case, I have seen one person who has been in bed after a, a major heart attack and they were saying there's no cognitive stimulation or there is no cognitive responses. But as soon as the person was hoisted up, the person was awake. It's that being hoisted, that movement is something that we are not tapping as a group. It's something that we are not focusing at, but it is so powerful. Okay. Maybe we need to invent some kind of a, 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 a hoist. Well, the hoist is there, but we should also use it as a therapeutic modality to stimulate the vestibular subsystem. Obviously, the challenges when you use that is the challenge of all of the connections. So when you move somebody using a hoist, moving handling equipment, moving and handling equipment, you have issues of lines and ventilators tracheostomy plus the tube. If you have the ventricular assistive devices, that's an issue. If you have an ECMO, that's an issue. If you have the filter, that would be affecting it. Okay, So that's why in critical care, it's very, very limiting. 
because these uh, the context of movement and engagement is limited with and limited by the attachment and what's interesting is when people are not well and people are not moving people do not see that they are getting the rehabilitation that they need as soon as you come in and see the person and you have provided some kind of stimulus whether planned or unplanned through your sound through your presence through your movement and if you move them any input that comes into the person gets interpreted by the brain and it will have a reaction and this is rehabilitation just remember rehabilitation is getting a person back to the level where they were and it starts as a low level rehabilitation is all about providing all of those basic sensory input at first and then the next step is for the person to understand it and the next thing will be the person to adapt to those sensory input that they are getting that's why neurology is such a powerful powerful arena all right so that's that i guess that's that would be the the line of action that i would be taking and that's my processes if i come in and when i come in to see a person in critical care if by chance i see a person and this person is already engaging and doing something or can be roused to alertness they but they are tending to sleep all the time and i understand that the reason why they sleep is because there's just nothing to do isn't it when you're lying in bed and you feel the operation and somehow you're a little bit limited with your breathing what else is there to do there's nothing much isn't it you're just going to sleep that's that's the natural tendency of the body you want to sleep and you want to sleep you want to rest you want to sleep then at first it's good but you need to have that rehabilitation is pushing away from that and getting the person to start engaging little by little little by little yeah there is a call the body would call not to do anything and we need to break away from that and we can be the instrumental we could be the therapists that would break away from that temptation of sleeping so early mobilization does not necessarily mean early walking early mobilization meaning you can move the joints you can reposition the patient and the best thing is to position them in a position of opportunity and that would be sitting down okay and if say they are seated where do we seat sit them we sit them at a recliner chair high pressure relieving ones very cocooning it cocoons the person and again the tendency is for the person to sleep so take them out of the bed put them in the chair and then you recline them then they would sleep again so you so the therapy here would be to start building up that sitting tolerance 
So you need to have time to sit the person forward, lean it, tip it forward, okay? And then wake, make sure that they're awake because that's very important, okay? And then if you can move the arms against the gravity, that's good. Then you can start to be creative. What else can you do, right? Sometimes I, I, have, a, I have a bag with me and there's lots of things in the bag, but you know, having a pen would be helpful. Having playing cards in your in your bag would be helpful. Sometimes I just pull out some tissue paper and all I do is I, I, I twist it and I get the person to twist it with me. Or I'd get them to just squeeze it while I twist it for them. Yeah, it's engaging. It's doing something. Uh, what else can I be doing? A pillowcase, yeah? And the pillow, you know, I get the person to remove the pillow off the pillowcase. That is one of the activities that can be done. Okay, and if they have access to comb, then that's good. Get them to comb their hair if they have a hair. The challenge sometimes is they're so weak that they cannot do it. They cannot even lift their arms up. So some of the activities that can be done would be some activities where, you know, you get the person to raise the arms and then move it and balance it and keep it straight without letting it fall down, just like a mast, keeping it holding it upright on different areas. Now, these are some of the techniques that a uh, Berta Bobath would be using or Brunström or Catherine Rood would be doing or a basic biomechanical technique. Right? So that if they can engage on something, then I will come back. And I said, I'll come back. I'll find something for them to do. And I'll do that. Okay? I'd read them a newspaper if needed. Uh, I have uh, some musical instruments with me, like a tambourine or an egg shaker. I'd get them to do that while we're playing some music and play along with it. Okay, Doing some coloring is already a high-level task. So if they can color, wow, that's amazing. If they can hold a pen, that would be amazing too. But usually, it's just gross motor uh, retraining. So adjunctive activities, lots of repetitive activities, they're not overly purposeful yet, but they are a component and that'll build things up. You know, just the simple box and blocks, moving one blocks, one block from one side of the box to the other box and blocks. So that's one thing that needs to be done or that's something that we can do. Okay. And then the next thing would just be, uh, the next thing that would just limit us is creativity really. So if you have a project that you can do where the patient can engage with over and over again, then that's good. It means that you can come back to it and you can do it over and over again, which means that there is a person activity match. Okay, guys, so thank you so much. And this is me sharing with you one of my processes or one of the hypothetical processes my process every time I go in and see a person in critical care. I hope you learned a little something today. Um, just share amongst uh, share the, share this amongst your peers. Have a discussion. Experience is always a good teacher. So do not shy away from seeing a patient. Just go get your hands. Not totally dirty, but get your hands on. Keep busy. Be there. Interact with the person. Stimulate the person. Engage the person. 
Don't think about structures or processes. Nobody is checking if you are right or wrong in terms of the activities that you can provide. All there is for an occupational therapist is for you to engage the person. But just remember, be careful and don't tug and pull any of those things that you don't know. All right? If the person cannot engage, they cannot engage. So you cannot push them so much that it would hurt them. Because you try to push them, they can't do it anyway. Yeah, The only thing that would be hurt is your ego. And you'd be very frustrated, obviously. Right? It's been a fun conversation. This is OT Conversations. My name is Hao. I'm your occupational therapist. Just remember, anything you do matters and has an outcome. Until next time, bye!